0: Hey, friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing his ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So, this podcast is just space. For discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom, and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. All right, welcome, guys. How are we? Great. 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 Uh, Well, we are kind of wrapping up our series on Friend of Sinners. My name is Gavin, pastor here at Axiom Church, among others. And uh, I'm grateful to be at the finish line. But I want to say with that, uh, this is a big topic. We didn't get to it all. Like the topic of sin and all that comes with that. There's a myriad of trappings uh, that are ensue. And I heard from some of you the last... couple of weeks for some of you. Thank you. For others, not so much, but uh, I get it. There's a lot of, you know, challenging texts, if you will, that we've been in. So if you've missed any of the last three weeks of this uh, series, um, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because we dealt pretty aggressively with this topic of addressing uh, sin and how do we engage that as followers of Jesus and the good news is that while we are all sinners yes we have a friend and his name is Jesus and Jesus is the friend of sinners now what's interesting to me though is that how is it that we as Christians struggle to have relationships and deep friendships with non-Christians when the person that we worship as Lord and Savior is the friend of sinners There's a dissonance there that I come to today as we wrap this up that shouldn't it be that if we are forgiven as sinners that we enter into the kind of life that allows us to come to a place where we ourselves can be friends of sinners. The friend of sinners is our model, is our Lord. And so we should be coming to a place in our journey where we find that we are in good standing with non-believers. We are in good standing with other sinners. And sinners come in all shapes and sizes. Okay? They're all over the map. All religions, Christian or not. Sin is in the world. Jesus is making a people who know how to be light in that world. And so today I want to help us kind of turn in that direction. Not just how do we deal with our sin, but how do we confront the sin, and more specifically, sinners that we engage in in the world. So, that's challenging. It's even disorienting because I recognize how excuse me, I can't talk right now. I'm not having a seizure. (laughs) I recognize how complicated, there's the word, uh, it is in certain circumstances, that there are situations that we've all found ourselves in where we're really not sure what's good here, what's not good here, where's the line, right? Like we navigate the line with some suspicion and uncertainty at times. That's real. And I recognize that. That's the challenge, right? And, and then to add to the challenge, you have all sorts of sort of religious uh, slogans going right. We are <clears throat> sinners in the hands of angry God, or are we sinners in the hands of a loving God? Which one is it? And and what you think about that will dictate what you think about others. By the way, and what you think about yourself. Are we navigating a gospel of sin management, or are we navigating a gospel of sort of minimizing sin and maximizing grace? And this is the the sort of polarity that we get pulled into. And the challenge there is that one takes advantage of the sinner and the other takes advantage of God. And we tend to fall to one spectrum or the other. But I want to believe that it's possible that Jesus was able to be at the center of it. That it wasn't an issue of minimizing sin in any way, shape, or form. It was an issue of confronting the sin and transforming it. But unless you've come to a place where you've realized that your sin needs confronted, where does that leave you with Jesus? Is it a gospel of behavior modification? Or is it a gospel of something else? Either way, it seems to me that it's a bit of a retreat from the living the eternal kind of life that Jesus modeled. You see, that's the thing. We like to say, you know, I'm not perfect, just for get, just forgiven, right? That's the bumper sticker. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you would be forgiven, period. That's where we begin. And then we grow in maturity and wisdom and character and love. And that happens in this life. And that's the kind of person who increasingly will become friend of sinners. So instead of what we see is that as you grow in your faith and grow in the church, uh, you have less and less non-Christian friends. Actually, maybe it would be that as you grow in your faith and relationship with God, that you would begin to, your heart would begin to swell in such a way that you would orient your posture towards not just other believers, but you would have a heart for people who did not yet have a relationship with the one in whom you now have a relationship with. That might be the marker. Like, have you ever thought that Christian spiritual maturity would look like friendliness? Jesus is friendly. I know, we're not used to thinking of him in that way. And so we have our slogans, right? And, and one of them is, uh, well, okay, love the sinner and hate the sin. And we know, we've heard that. We've heard that. And to some degree, I guess it could be useful, but the challenge is that it assumes that we have the capacity to appropriately diagnose the sin. And to some degree, and in some circumstances, we certainly do, right? It's pretty easy when there's a clear commandment and it's broken. But it starts to fuzzy out from there it starts to get a little gray what what happens when like is it sin when you just fail to love well is that sin also we love to reduce righteousness to rules and commands but right living is a whole way of being it's a becoming it's not an orientation of actions Or an order of steps in which you live your life. It's not the 12 rules of life. And where is the line anyways? And isn't all sin equal? Well, actually, Jesus says something about that that sounds quite different than that idea. John even says that some sin equals death and some doesn't. So where are we getting at with this? And you see how our ideas that we hold on to about sin trap us, like all sin separates us from God. That's another trap, by the way, and needs to be rethought. We'll talk a little bit about that today. But the challenges that we've been facing and that I need to confront for a moment to help us move forward is really the sin that Jesus over and over and over comes to. And he comes to all sorts of sins, by the way. But the sin that he keeps bumping into in his journey to being a friend of sinners to all people, his his pathway to the cross, the thing he keeps getting resistance with is the sin of sanctimony. It's the sin of religious spirituality that thinks it's better than everybody else. It's a sin that says, hate the sin, and because of that, I'm not even sure I can love the sinner. It's a sin that otherizes and precludes those that Jesus is friends with. We see the sin in everyone but ourselves, and the sin of sanctimony. In the sin of sanctimony, we have a posture of defense of self and offense of others. But what I want to suggest today that we are moving towards is what if we had a posture of offense towards self in defense of others? Meaning, not that we defend ourselves. No, we actually defend others, and we take the offense when it comes to our sin. So instead of uh, love the sinner, hate the sin... Could it be hate the sin that's in me so that I might be able to appropriately love the others? That's the shift from sanctimony to solidarity. Hate your in your own sin so much that you might may now love the sinner in others because that kind of humbling of self that kind of ownership of what I've done wrong allows me to like I can't even throw a stone how could I that that puts me in a posture that makes me the kind of person that others who might be in sin could actually approach and confront If the only option we give to our kids or to our friends is, hey, well, you know, you've been in sin, you should go talk to the perfect pastor guy over there. How approachable is that? But if instead when we're discipling our brothers and sisters or our little ones and we start with a confession, forgive me for I've sinned, and we we start our time there with others that, hey, you're, you're staring at somebody who knows well sin." We, we, we open a door for friendship. It's a shift. I, my, my religious upbringing, I, I was not conditioned to think this way. Now, I found Jesus in it. God's good. But I grew up with a lot of animosity and kind of like feeling icky in church spaces. I didn't like going to church. Um, and when I started to kind of re-engage church, I was fearful of it because of the impressions that had been sort of pressed on me in my own experience. And, and as trivial as they might have been, but it was little things like the kind of clothing I wore was inappropriate. My, 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 my parents at times were a little embarrassed by how Gavin dressed. And some of the my youth leaders at the time didn't like it either. I used to have you guys remember the Make Seven Up Yours t-shirts? Yeah. Okay, I had one and I took it to youth one time. And that was a big no-no, apparently. Okay? Some of you are like, what shirt are he talking about? Yeah, I know. I'm aging myself. Um I my my brother, he 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 didn't know where, where the line was, not just with his sin, but where his pant line was. <laughs> it was like down here you know like how low is too low with some of those pants you know that people used to wear i'm sorry if you're wearing them down here today i'm not knocking you but you know he had the fubu shirt and the gold chain the white case with shoes and he you sit there like this in class you know and man if he had to tie his shoe get out of the way and then me on the other side, I had jeans twice as skinny as this. I really did, with a studded belt. and had a little AFI shirt that said the, it had the Hellcat on there and spiky hair with blue tips. Yeah. Sexy, I know. <laughs> so, I say all that to say that, like, I didn't feel very welcome at church, <laughs> That environment was a struggle because there's this sense of judgment. And maybe that was, maybe I asked for that, right? <laughs> Somebody going, Amen, Amen. <laughs> but that kind of, you know, like we, we do that, we did it today. We already did it in some form, in some way. It exists in, in, in spaces. And And this this kind of struggle of how do we become postured in a way that the worst of the worst could feel welcome here? What would that look like? What if this place was full of the scariest people you could ever imagine, (laughs) according to you? The most unlikely people you would ever imagine to be in the church. Those are Jesus' friends. But the posture we would have to take, I think, would have to look a little bit like this. Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, says this To forego self conceit and to associate with the lowly means, in all soberness, to consider oneself the chief of sinners. Hate the sin in yourself so that you might love the others. Paul in Romans 7 says, oh, wretched sinner that I am. That's how he starts. That's the shift from sanctimony to solidarity. We're freed to move from the trappings of sanctimony to the healing of solidarity, the communal healing of solidarity. Jesus talks about it this way in Luke 18, if you want to turn there, uh, Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. To some, who were confident of their own righteousness. Now, who does that sound like? And here's the posture. And looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Both of them are going to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But instead beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humbled themselves will be exalted." Jesus here is addressing those that are looking down on others that are in that posture of navigating their relationship with others. And he says that it's the one who sees their own sin, who has humbled themselves... That's the justified person. It's he flips it on his head. We would all go to church going, well, clearly it's the pastor guy or the Pharisee. But Jesus says, No, it's the guy at the prayer corner in the back. That's that's the friend. That's the posture. And we in our culture, we love to look up to our heroes. But again, Jesus justifies and exalts the lowly. But we can't look down to see that we ourselves have to humble ourselves, become repentant in order to see the the sinners as God sees them. He sees them in their best potential. This text convey it's this juxtaposition between the one who looks down and everyone else uh, compared to the one who has hum- humbled themselves before God. Now, you might think that this means that we should just, you know, walk around beating up on ourselves all the time. And there's some points in church history where a few guys did that and it was not cool. That's not what Jesus is getting at. It's not what I'm getting at. I'm inviting us to think about how we shift our whole posture to look more like the posture of Jesus and those that Jesus was friends with. Our journey is not one of getting holier and holier. Our journey is one of getting humbler and humbler. I don't know if humbler is a word, by the way. That's the journey before Jesus. Where you can't help but look at the world and have love and adoration for everybody regardless of where they're at on the spectrum. Regardless of what shape or size they come in. Because you see your own condition appropriately. And because you've seen your own position appropriately, you've now seen the one who comes to love you and to be your friend. And that's a whole new game. Instead of seeing the worst, we begin to see the best. In this posture, we see sin as our own failure to love. And just think for a moment, what spaces, just in this last week, did you have the chance to love? Could have you loved more, but you chose instead punishment? Or you chose instead to even the score, or you chose instead, whatever it is. That's the space that has to change. And you might think, well, but if, if, if I don't hold them accountable, or if I don't show them what they, you know, if I don't even the playing field... 1 Peter 4, 8, Peter says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. This is his punchline. And the seven verses that preceded, and you can fact check me if you'd like, but he, he's, a, he's saying, deal with your sin. Deal with your sin. And then punchline, above it all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. See, he's beginning to see this vision for the way we are with others, this solidarity, peace. And we hate our sin because it keeps us from loving others and from loving God. See. I know I've said before, but we we think that our sin separates us from God. But let, let me just repackage that for you. Sin doesn't keep God from loving you. Sin keeps you from letting God love you. Sin keeps you at a place where you don't know how to receive God's love. That's how sin separates us. It keeps us from loving others, and it keeps us resisting God. And that's why we hate it. Hate the sin. Hate the sin. We can measure this a little bit by thinking about forgiveness. Because I want to be clear, solidarity is not kindness or tolerance of sinners. It's longing to love them and see the best in them. And the only way we can do that is through this forgiveness piece, which gets tricky for some of us. But Luke 6 37, we read this Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. You see, this kind of person who is able to forgive a person who is in the wrong, that's someone who knows the forgiveness that they themselves have experienced. That's how that works. The reason you can only be forgiven to the degree which you've forgiven others, which Jesus talks about in another place, is because if you don't learn to reconcile Yourself, you will never be able to appropriately love others. That's why the only person that can't, can never say sorry is this person that thinks that they've never done anything wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to say sorry. So I didn't do anything wrong. I can hear myself saying that to my wife at times. <laughs> Who do I think I am? my sin stinks too, as we keep saying. Jesus models this everywhere. And Sorry, I'm going over time here. Um, Zacchaeus, nobody liked him. I think nobody still likes that guy. Rich little wee little Zacchaeus in the tree. Jesus goes to the town, I think it's Jericho, and when he gets there, Everybody, all the cool kids come out and they all surround Jesus. And they're like, oh my gosh, i got to catch a glimpse of this guy Jesus. But nobody in town comes out for Zacchaeus. They do the opposite. They see Zacchaeus coming, they're like, I'm not here. Because they know that he, he's a rich thief. But when Jesus gets to town and all the cool kids come out for Jesus, instead of taking in the accolades, Jesus turns to Zacchaeus and says, bro, I'm hanging with you today. I want to come to your house. And he affirms the one that nobody affirms. That's what Jesus does. And then he goes to his house. And next thing you know, this relationship opens the door for forgiveness. And Zacchaeus repents. He sees a sin. Jesus doesn't even have to tell him. He just has to go give the guy a hug and have a meal. Luke 7, verse 36 says this. I want to end this story. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his... At his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, please just think about this for a minute. Jesus is invited to the Pharisees' dinner party. Okay? Hey, Jesus, come on. Let's have a meal. Let's hang out. Then the woman who lived a sinful life... Finds out about the party. She wasn't invited. She finds out that Jesus is at this party. And she goes across all cultural norms, across all taboos, religious, social, you name it, and pours herself out for Jesus. And you can just imagine, you can just imagine what everybody's thinking in the room. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He would know that she's making him filthy. So not only is he looking down on her, but he's now looking down on him. And just so you know, as we look down on others, we are cultivating the kind of heart that thinks we know better even than God. And in some strange way, we do the same thing here. Now, it doesn't matter if it's a generation 2,000 years ago or today, there's no category in history where it was okay for a woman to just come and start massaging a man's feet and pouring her tears out on it. That never happened. Except for here. And so it's easy to see how the Pharisee gets to this point. But Jesus, in solidarity... With the woman who's just risked it all to bring her sin, her dirt. Pour it all out on Jesus. Jesus responds with this in verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown." But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, her great love that he's referring to, the verses that are right before this, there's just a lot, so I didn't have time. Jesus goes through and says how everything that she is doing is an act of great love. He flips the script. The Pharisee just got done saying all these things that she's doing is clearly inappropriate, clearly wrong, clearly bad. But Jesus flips it and says, no, 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 no. Her great love that Jesus exalts is the very acts that the Pharisee condemns. Jesus, in this moment, judges the sanctimony, the critic, while calling the taboo acts of the girl righteous. And that's what solidarity looks like here. He Humbles the Pharisee by calling him out and he exalts the sinner by naming her acts as great love because that's what they were. See, Jesus is looking at the posture of the one who is looking down and the one who is at his feet pouring it all out. And that is what counts to him. He's not keeping a tab of her behavior. He's taking note of the posture of her heart. And what's incredible to me here is not just that he flips the script that he takes something that we would all think was awful and he says no that's beautiful. Is he then chooses to go on and model after her with his own disciples. He chooses to wash the feet of his disciples. And then from there, he goes to the cross. And what does he do? He pours out his best, his most expensive perfume, his blood, his body, so that we would all know we have a friend. That's Jesus. Lord, help us in this tricky upside down sideways navigation we call life help us to help us to care far more about the heart so that we might become the kind of people who do far less of the behaviors and issues that we bump into God change us Lord help us to become the kind of people who increasingly look like you Humble us, God. Create in us a love for the world and for those that are in it. Shed our judgment, shed our hate, convict us of our sins so that we might humbly love others. Amen.